I don't know if you knew this, but in last this May, um, something big happened in our in our nation. Uh, the the last uh, circus took place for the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. How many of you remember going to the circus when you're you're young? You, you know, I loved it. I, we took our kids to the circus. It's kind of sad that the circus is no longer. Uh, you know, I, I can remember Robin and I were talking and. Uh, when we took our kids, and they were young, and, and uh, you know, we had the, the, the cotton candy, and, and it was so cool because the, under the big top, and, and then you had the elephants came out, and, and, and the clowns, and you had uh, uh, the flying trapeze people flying around, and, and, and I was so amazed when the elephants came out, and those trainers would, would do that and make them do all those things. Then the tigers and the, and the lions, they'd jump through those fiery rings. Remember that? Uh, love that. It was so crazy that they would get those animals to do that. And then I'll never forget the, I mean, the drum roll. I mean, uh, this is after the bearded lady, okay? That's kind of creepy. Creepier than the clowns probably. But uh, uh, then, then the drum roll took, took off, and, and man, you could just feel the, ins- the, the excitement building in the whole room. And all of a sudden, the sheep come out. It was so cool. Y'all don't remember that in the circus? Yeah, yeah, I've never remembered sheep in the circus ever. I mean, I was sitting down thinking, has there ever been a sheep in the circus? No, no, there's never been a sheep in the circus because sheep can't be trained, right? Sheep are, 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 are not very smart, right? Well, we're looking at Psalm 23 today. And what's interesting is you look at this psalm, as you look at the scriptures, it, it's amazing because our like people have been able to tame orcas. They've been able to tame you know dolphins, and I've swam with the dolphins. They've been able to tame elephants and tigers, and sheep are impossible to ch- to tame. There, there, there's all kinds of aspects about the life of a sheep. They don't train, and all through Scripture, what does the Bible call us? Sheep, right? Doesn't that encourage you today? Aren't you excited that that that? You know, it's, it's incredible. The, um, today, 23rd Psalm is the most, probably, arguably, the most famous psalm in all the scripture. And can I be honest? It was, it was challenging preparing it this week. And, and as I've been praying through this psalm, because, because it's so familiar, we come to a psalm like this, and we go, oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know about that psalm. Yeah, okay, I, I got that. Lord's my shepherd. I want. We could all quote it, right? I mean, this is the first psalm I can remember memorizing with my mom when I was a little boy. And, and my mom was so faithful and still is, and she's in her 80s. And, and, uh, and I can remember my mom coming with me saying, we're going to memorize this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's interesting to me as, you, as I look at, at, our, at our world, you know, arguably if you can think about life from 1900 all the way to the beginning of time, Culture was kind of an agrarian society. People, by that I mean people knew farm lingo. They, they understood the language of, of country life. You know, with the Industrial Revolution, in the last 117 years, cities began to just take off. And, and most of us today are city people. And so it's difficult for us to grasp the farming language and the language of, of agriculture. Now, in Oklahoma, we kind of get it sometimes because we're around it a little bit. But, but this morning, 
I want us to look at this incredible psalm, and we got to understand this psalm was written from the perspective of a sheep. And, and I read a book this week, and I would challenge you to get it. it it's a fascinating book. It's called uh, the Sh- A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And it is a, uh, by a guy named Philip Keller, and it's a very, very fascinating, very interesting psalm. And I would challenge you to get it because it, it, I want to just tell you 10 things that this guy said about, about, hey, let's not worry about that. He's a great kid, and he has autism, and I'll tell you, I am grateful for his family. And, and you know what they do? Um, you know, sometimes we're in a situation like that and we see uh, a child act up and we may make some, some, oh, well, why don't they control him? But sometimes we don't recognize what families are going through. And I, and I, and I watch what Rob and Arena, how they have raised their kids and how they are, are doing that. So, so I'll tell you what, we want him to come to this service. So... If, um, if there are outbursts, man, we'll just get over it. Is that okay? That's good. That'd be good. Because, you know, I just love it. So that's what we're going to do. So if, if you're around a guest and they start going, hey, I don't know what's going on, just say, hey, it'll be all right. We love them. So that'd be good. Um, sorry, that's not my notes. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, I wrote down 10 things about this about sheep. I mean, in this book, he writes 10 things about sheep. He says this, sheep are not very smart. Uh, Sheep will blindly follow the herd even if they're running off a cliff. Isn't that interesting about sheep? They stink. Nice. They're restless. Sheep are restless. In fact, he he writes that, that, that a sheep can get discontent real quickly. And, and he says uh, that they won't lie down unless there are four requirements met. A sheep won't lie down unless they're free from fear. Uh, if they're fighting with another sheep, they won't lie down. Uh, if, if, they are, if they are facing these flies or these parasites that they're always prone to get, they're always prone to get these sicknesses and these parasites. They'll get in their nose and their mouth. And if they're pestered by them, they won't lay down. Um, if, if they're hungry, they won't lay down. If, if there's an enemy about, they're not going to lay down. They're, they're just restless. Uh, you know, they have a tendency, and the fifth thing about sheep, they have a tendency to look at other fields and think the grass is greener in the other pasture. Ouch. Um, this is interesting. They rub their heads together, and then they'll give each other scab. It's this disease that sheep get. And, and so that's, that's interesting. Uh, they, they fight with each other. You know, sheep are notorious for doing that. They, they have a lot of enemies and they can't defend themselves. That's sheep. Um, they can get downcast. Sheep can get downcast. This means that, that they'll sometimes get too fat or, or they'll, they'll get too comfortable. And then what will happen is when they get too comfortable, they'll roll over on their back and they can't get back up. And... Uh, I mean, these are dumb animals, okay? I mean, these are, it's terrible that, that these animals will fall over and they can't get back up. And, they're, and if it's a hot day, they'll be dead in the matter of hours. They'll just, they'll die because they're gases and they just, I guess they burp and everything and they can't get up and, and they just die. Or if it's a cool day, it won't be long till buzzards will start circling or they'll be bleeding and an enemy or a predator will notice and hear and will, will, will come and, and they're just dead. 
they'll die. Um, they can get downcast. Tenth thing about a sheep is they're in desperate need of a shepherd. Now, when I think about us, golly, I, I, I was very convicted about that. Because, you know, there are times I'm not very smart. There are times that God has said, Chris, I want you to do this. Chris, this is the best way to live. And I'm like, yeah, God, I think I know more than you. Uh, There are times that that I can look at my own life and I've blindly followed the herd of people. Even if they were going off a cliff, we've blindly followed them. Have have we all experienced that at times? Uh, There are times that I've just flat out stunk. Like when it comes to my my habits, some of my hang-ups, some of my tendencies, uh, there, there have been times that I've been restless. You know, because I've been fearful of, of my circumstances or, or I've been maybe fighting with somebody or, or maybe I've been, um, uh, you know, you know pest, I've got pests in my own life. You know, I've got things that I just, that keep tripping me up. And I, uh, there, there are times that, that I'm just, I'm spiritually hungry. You know, you know, I think that, that a lot of times when we're restless, it's because we've not spent time with the Lord in a while. Have you noticed that? Times when you're fearful or you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm so worried. And then, like, you know, my wife is one of the godliest ladies I've ever known in all of my life. She's such an inspiration to me. She, she articulated something very uh, incredible this week. She's, she's had a really busy week with this class that she's taken, and she goes, you know what, I just need some time with the Lord. I've been up late, or, or up early, bed late. And, and that happens sometimes for all of us when we, we just go, you know what, we need to get with the Lord. You know, there, there are times that, that I have a tendency to look at other fields, whether it's uh, you know, all of us, I've, I've sat with men and women who said, you know what, if I was married to that person, it would be better. If I, would, if I had that job, it would be better. If I lived in that city, it would be better. And we have a tendency to look at other fields and go, you know what, I wish I had that. You know, sometimes we rub our heads together and go, hey, let's, let's figure this out on our own. And what happens? We give each other scab. I don't even know what spiritual scab looks like, but, but you know, there's a tendency there. We, we, have a, we, we sometimes fight with one another. There's generational fighting in, our, in, in churches today. There's, there's, a, there, there's denominational fighting. There's, there's, oh, we're better than that church and, you know, all these things. And, and we forget that we need one another. We need the younger generation. The younger generation needs the older generation. And, and, and we forget this, and we sometimes don't forgive, and we hold grudges, and we fight with one another. We have a lot of enemies. Folks, I, I think about the enemies that are around us, that, that, that we often forget that we are in a spiritual battle, that we are, we are in a battle for the souls of men, and, it, and it, should, it should move us every time we see someone being saved. This week is Vacation Bible School, hence all the decorations. That starts tomorrow. It's going to be crazy. I mean, it's going to be uh, like herding cats this week. It's going to be so much fun. But, but the reality is we need to pray for the spiritual 
um, transformation of children. What better time in the life of a child, of a person, than as a child come to know Christ as their Savior? Think about all the things they will be protected from if that happens. We, we have so many enemies. That's why as a church, we are called, like Ephesians says, to take our stand against the devil's schemes. You know, there are times we get downcast. You know, all through the Psalms, you see, why is my soul downcast? We're going to look at that next week. We, we, get down, we get down on ourselves, down on life, down on, on, on hope, and, and we get depressed, and, and, and we're like those sheep. Or sometimes we get so comfortable. We're like, oh, it's so cozy. And what happens in our comfort, because we sometimes long for comfort, but we forget that walking with Jesus is often not comfortable, but we get comfortable and we get downcast and we roll over and we're susceptible. And sometimes we forget that we desperately need a shepherd. Ah, oh, we need a shepherd. Look at, look at Psalm 23. Let's look at this. And let's think about this for a minute because David is the, is the writer of this. David is, 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 knows what it's like to be a shepherd. He, he spent his life out in the, in the sheep field. He spent his life being with the sheep. And, and you, know, you remember when Samuel was coming, God told Samuel, I want you to go to Jesse's house. I want you to look at his sons. One of his sons is going to be the next king. And, and all the, the brothers, all David's brothers come before him. They were strong. They were tall. And and, and as, as Samuel looks at the, these young men who are strapping and who are, you know, specimen and who are farm boys, I mean, farm tough boys, he said, God kept saying, don't look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And all the sons come through and he's like, that's not them. You have another one? Oh, David. Yeah, he's out with the sheep. That was kind of the, the low man on the totem pole, the, the, the non-important people. David understood what it was like to be out there with those sheep because they, they had all those things. They were stinky. They were messy. They were hard to control and, and all these things. David saw this and he writes, look at this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now the first thing I want us to see today is this, that, that our relationship with God is deeply personal. And can, can, can we not forget that today? That, that we are called to this relationship with God, and, and David so powerfully writes, it's the Lord that is our shepherd. I mean, think about that. The one who had the power to create human life that spoke with his mouth, didn't even move his hand, spoke with his mouth, let there be light. And there's light. The earth is created. Everything we see is made just by the spoken word from his mouth. The Lord is your, my shepherd. But the creator of all we see comes close to us. And you see, this is what is so important that we don't miss. So often church is distant. It's, it's we come and, and we're distant from God and, and, and we, 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 we tend to live our lives distant from God and we forget that God is calling us to something deeply personal. 
And this is why for us as a body of believers, as followers of Christ, that we must learn to, to listen to his voice and to interact with the Lord. And, and we've got to reject this temptation from our, our modern world that says, God doesn't speak today and God won't speak to you, but, but we forget the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, in Baptist life, we're, we're big on our doctrine. We're big on our study, and I am too. I, I mean, I... That's been beat into me. It's been drilled into me that we've got to have good doctrine, and that is absolutely true. And, and, but sometimes we come and study about God, but can I challenge us with this? We forget to experience Him. And can I challenge you not to live your life apart from experiencing God? I mean, I remember when, uh, do you remember years ago, it was probably in the 90s, when Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God Bible Study came out. I mean, I went through that as a college student. I actually got to go hear Henry Blackaby speak before that came out. My BSU director at Southwestern Oklahoma State, he, he said, you got to come to this retreat. And I was like, I don't want to come to this retreat. I was a sophomore in college. I had just been offered the opportunity to go to my very first church in Thomas, Oklahoma. And I was wrestling with it. I didn't know. I was like, Lord, I don't, I don't want to go teach the wrong thing. I'm 19 years old. I don't know if I'm ready. And I was burdened about this. I was like, I don't want to go teach the wrong thing. And I was nervous. I was scared. I was afraid to take that step into ministry. And, and, and I didn't want to go to that retreat, but I finally relented after he pressured me and made me feel guilty. And I was like, okay, I'll go, I'll go. And, and I went, and Henry Blackaby was there. And he taught a Bible study on experiencing God. And I remember after that Bible study being like coming away from this, this study with him, and it was an early in the morning, and, 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 and he talked about, look, experience the Lord move in your life. And I, and I went outside by this pond, and I was like, Lord, I, I need to know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I experienced the Lord come and say, do this. I, call, I called you at 15. Go do this. And I was like, okay, I will. And that began the journey of ministry for me. And it was an experience with the Lord. And, and so I want to challenge us not to miss that, not to just study about God, but to experience him, to listen to him, to walk with him. And, and then, you know, to follow him. And the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, right? I mean, I mean, why, why are we so resistant to follow him? I mean, we, we come to church and we come together and, and we, we, we open the word of God. We're disciplined with this. And there are times when we do this that God will say, follow me. Trust me. Come on. But like sheep, like Isaiah says, all, we all like sheep go astray and each one of us turns to his own way. And we want to look at the Lord and say, no, Lord, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I don't want to forgive my wife or I don't want to, I don't want to let, forgive my husband. I don't want to work this out. I, 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 I want a new pastor. No, God says, look, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not want He's going to fulfill you. He's going to satisfy you. And I think about what the Lord did for us. Think about this. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around this. And I really believe that this psalm is so powerful. And there's a reason that it is read at most funerals. Because this psalm 
um, points to the most important thing in life. Think about this. What, what God did. I love John 10, 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, why should we follow him? Why should we, why should we say, God, your plan is better than my plan. God, your voice is more significant than all the other voices coming at, at, at us because he's the one that laid his life down for you. When, when we get to heaven, when I die, I'm going to stand before the Lord. And I've said this many, many times, and it's just going to come out all the time. So I'm just going to repeat myself. So just prepare for it. We're going to look at the Lord and go, oh my goodness. The good shepherd came here. Holy God came here in an unholy world, in a, in a broken world, and he laid down his life for you and for me. Oh my goodness. Lord, I will follow you. And that's why we're compelled. God, we cannot help but follow you every day because the good shepherd, he laid down his life for the sheep, for you and me that would be, have all these tendencies to stink, to rebel, to say, you know what, God, your plan's not as good as mine. And yet Romans 5, 8 is so fascinating that God demonstrates his love for us that even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. Man. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing or I, I shall not be in want. He knows your needs. He knows how to lead you. How does he do this? What does he do? Verse 2, look at this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Point, point number two today is this. He's intimately involved in the details of my life. Do you know that God sees where you are right now? He, he, he leads you to green pastures. He leads you beside quiet waters. He refreshes your soul. And this is why we're, we're constantly moved to, to, to the Lord because when we're in desert places and there are times that we are in very difficult spots. And, and if you have a friend that is, is wondering about why do bad things happen to good people, make sure you bring them next week. Next week we're looking at Psalm 42 and 43. But I want us to see today that, that as the good shepherd, when, when you're in a desert place, he knows where to lead you. And that's why when crisis comes, when trials come, what, what should we do? We should turn to the shepherd. We should experience him. We should follow him. We have a tendency sometimes to, to move away from him. But see, crisis for a believer moves us in close to him. I love this. Look at he guides me along the path of righteousness for him, his name's sake. And I want you to see this, that, that he will guide you. God guides me. Think about the significance of that, 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 that the shepherd who, who cares about the details, who calls you to this personal relationship with him, he guides you. 
I think back of how, how David, in this, as this nomadic shepherd, it was normal for them to, to graze through different fields. And, and what they would do is, is these shepherds were, 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 were masters at going into these different fields at different times of the year. They would gradually, when the snows would melt, would lead their sheep up into the mountains and they would make sure, they would go scout it out beforehand and make sure the poison plants were pulled up and killed and, and it was only the good grass and the good shepherds would guide their sheep through the valleys, through the difficult spots to the places that were able to produce the healthiest sheep. And what does God do? God guides us. Golly, I think about in my own journey, my journey to come here. And as Robin and I, when, when we first came and, and, and it was the first phone call from, from the pastor search team to come here. We, we drove to Owasso because Robin's brother had moved here. And, and, and we came jogging around the church. And I go, Robin, what do you think? And she's like, I don't know. I don't think we're coming here. I think I like, we, we like home, Chris. You may be coming without me. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, no, I don't want to come without you. And over the, the 11 months... I watched the Lord move Robin and I's heart. I, I came here and I thought, I don't know that I could have a vision for another place, Lord. I was so rooted and we were so grounded and we, we had such a heart for, for our church and for, our, for people, our neighborhood, our, 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 where we had been planted. And, we, and, and I remember my wife specifically said, went from, I don't know if I can come to if we don't come, we will be disobeying God. And, and we, have you experienced the Lord guiding you? I mean, the moves you've made are not accidental. The, the doors that open aren't accidental. And, and, the, and he guides you. And where does he guide you? He guides you along right paths for his name's sake. And, and so not only will he guide you, do you know that he will correct me? I've seen God correcting me in my life. And, and aren't you grateful for a shepherd that will not only guide you to where you need to be, but he will also correct you? And this is something we struggle with in our church today. We think, oh, God is gracious. God is loving. He's forgiving. And all those things are true. But let me tell you something. He corrects us. And God corrects us and disciplines us. And, and, and this is important. We have this tendency to rebel against him. We have this tendency to know, think we know the best plan. But what does God do? He, God, God uses his word to warn us. He, he uses his spirit to guide us. And, to, and, to, and he uses people. God's people. That's why church is important. I think back of, of the believers that, that, that I allowed to be in my life. Brad and I were talking this week. Brad Ayler and I uh, were college roommates. We lived in a house together. And, and, and when we lived together as college students, we were off campus. And, and we were juniors. And I was a senior. He was a junior. And, and, uh, and you know, Brad was dating Kelly. And I was dating Robin. And, and, uh, and another one of my roommates, Andy Taylor, who's the pastor at Arrow Heights here in Tulsa. And he was a roommate. And, and I look back at all the guys that I lived with. And, and, and we, were, we were pushing one another. We were challenging one another. And, and, and we had fun together. But, but we also had a spiritual depth to our relationship. And so, so when it came to the way our girlfriends, we interacted with them, it just wasn't going to happen that one of our girlfriends could stay the night at our house. That just wasn't going to happen. 
None of us even ever tried to do that. I mean, our parents weren't there. We were away from home, and, and we were off campus. I mean, no OBU police would come by. But we had this accountability, this push. This is why the church is important. We've got to push one another, and, and God uses us in each other's lives to say, look, don't go that way. We're going to get in your way, and this is why you've got to do more than just come to this big room and look at the back of someone's head, that God has put people in your life to help you, to pick you up when you're down, to warn you when you're about to go off a cliff, not to lead you off the cliff like a pack of sheep. He guides, the, the shepherd guides us in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He lets us know when we've wandered. He puts us back on the right path. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I want you to recognize that God will protect me. The good shepherd protects me. And you know what this rod that a shepherd would use? You know, sometimes he'd smack them, you know? Those sheep would start wandering off and they'd, they'd be going down a, a valley. There's actually a valley in Israel called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. It's a real deep cliff. It's very dangerous. David probably knew about this and that's where he got this imagery and, and, and he probably led his sheep down this path. And, and I can imagine David uh, having his staff and his rod and his staff uh, and he would, uh, this, guiding the sheep, and they're getting a little too close to the edge, and he walks over and says, bam, hey, get over here. Oh, okay, I will. You know, there are times that, that God will discipline us and, and, and correct us to protect us. And, and why, why do we reject his protection, his his discipline. I want you to see this, that even though I walked through the darkest valley or like the, what we memorized as, as a kid, I memorized as a kid, the valley of the shadow of death. You know, it's interesting when it comes to death. You know, Puritans, they used to, uh, they used to celebrate the fact that a Christian was going to die and they would write books and they would write poems about death. And, and, and this week I preached the funeral of a, of a dear man in the life of our church and, and, and Norman passed away and, and, and I commented after, when I got up to preach his funeral message because we had just sang this incredible song of, Paul, what was, what was it? How great thou art. I can't believe I forgot that. I just like, I just forgot it. How great thou art. And I said, how can we get up and sing how great thou art at a funeral? Because people would say a lost world fears death. They're afraid of death. But look at what David rightly calls death. As a believer, death is a shadow. And he reminds us that we shouldn't be afraid of death's power. You know, you know, it's interesting because we as human beings are the only ones, only beings alive that know we're going to die. We know it. We know it's coming. My dog, I love my dog. My dog doesn't know if she's going to die. My dog just wants to get up in the morning and me to feed her. And I, and I pray I, I become the man my dog thinks I am, right? But my dog doesn't know if she's going to die. Look, we know 
death is coming. We're all right now living in the valley of the shadow of death. Right now. But I want you to know it's nothing to fear. In a lost world, I'll tell you what, if you're here today without Christ, you're right to fear death. Have you noticed that culturally we've had a lot of movies in the last eight months or so, or that I've not seen them really, I've seen them advertised about, you know, a dog is reincarnated, you have all these things about heaven, these pictures of heaven, that a lost world, collateral beauty, all these different movie titles. Because our culture is so afraid of death, but they're, they're coming up with all these crazy scenarios. But one, things they, one thing they have right, death's not the end. But if you're living without Christ, you ought to fear death. I love what I heard James Merritt say about, about death. Um, he, he told this story about a, a man that was close to him and his, his, uh, his wife died and, 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 and she was young and he was in the car with his three kids and they were driving to the graveside and his kids were just devastated. And this man was a pastor. I can't remember his name. But, but he said, um, he said, as they're, as they're going to the graveside, a big semi-truck pulls up at a stoplight next to them. And, he's, and this dad, who's a pastor, doesn't know what to say to his grieving children. And, and, he, and, the, and, and as this truck pulls up next to them, it blocked the sun. And they were completely in the shadow of this truck. And this dad said to his son, he said, he said to his kids, he said, um, Hey, guys, would you rather get hit by the truck or the shadow of the truck? And his youngest son says, well, Dad, the shadow, because it's, it's, it doesn't hurt. And then he made the statement, Jesus got hit by the truck on Calvary, and now we as believers, all we have is the shadow that hits us. And I thought, man, that's, I'm going to write that down. That was good. The bottom line is, a shadow is an image without substance. And see, Jesus took death, the sting of death, away from us. And so it's my prayer that as believers, when, when we get that phone call, okay, the cancer is terminal for us. Okay, you know what? We want to run our race well. But, but Lord, we're looking to you. It's kind of like you can't have shadow without light, right? So, so when, when we start to fear those shadows that come, that shadow of death, let's, do, let's, let's hold one another accountable to stop looking at the shadow and turn around and look at the light. Because when we look at the light, we don't see the shadow, right? And, and that's why it's so magnificent that Jesus did this for us and David said look he's going to protect us and and I love this verse 5 as we wrap up you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows and surely God gives us so much more than we deserve and look at verse 6 famous passage surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and, 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 you know, when I think about 
my life. Next week, I'm going to share a little bit more of my, of my testimony of tragedy in my life. And as I look back on my journey and, the, and some of the tragic experiences that I've gone through, you know, um, surely I, I can say God has been good to me. I mean, I, I think about the, the difficulties that my family has gone through and as, as I've grown up, as I've the, the loss that we've had, it hasn't been without difficulty. But can I tell you, when I, when I really take a snapshot of my life and I look back in spite of the tragedies, God has been good to me. God has been good to us. God is faithful to us. And God has been with us. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And see, God has been good to us. God has been merciful to us. The times that I've rebelled against him, the times that I said, God, I don't want to go your way. God has been merciful to me. And I want you to know that the day I draw my last breath, it says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can I tell you this? That God will never disappoint me or you. He'll never disappoint you. And I, and I love this. Romans 8, 38 says, for, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, Jesus our Lord. Have you experienced him being your shepherd. Is he your shepherd today? You know, you might say, Crystal, how can he be my shepherd? As Joe comes out, we're going to have an invitation. And I want you to know that, that you're invited. And, and, and every time we preach the word, we're invited to respond. And can I tell you, this is something that we hold dear. This is a moment in the life of our service that we hold dear. Because God calls us to respond. Our shepherd is present. He is calling us to experience him, to move and to follow him. You know, to know Jesus as your Savior, to make sure he's your shepherd, it begins with you simply admitting, God, I need you. Lord, I need you in my life. I admit that I'm a sinner. I've gone my own way. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But see, Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his love for us that even though you are a sinner, Christ died for you. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That, that if you are apart from Christ, you're in trouble. And, and, and I'm not trying to scare you, but, but I'll tell you what, you ought to be scared if you're here today without Christ. It ought to scare you because none of us are promised tomorrow and you do not want to walk through that door without him. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's the moment that the good shepherd becomes your shepherd. Is he your shepherd?